I'm Ruxandra Guidi, host of The Catch, a podcast from Foreign Policy and the Walton Family Foundation about the seafood we eat and the impact it can have on our world. This season, we'll hear how Norway is handling cod's changing migration patterns and what it says about fisheries in other parts of the world. Season three of The Catch is out now. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, November 5th. Here are election 2020 updates from today's show. As Biden amassed small but stable leads in critical states that edged him closer on Wednesday to winning the presidency, President Trump and Republicans threatened legal challenges as they sought to shift the battle for the White House from the polling place to the courthouse. But as Trump's antics and rhetoric grew more aggressive over the course of the day, Biden's electoral position only strengthened, and states including Michigan and Wisconsin fell into his column. The former vice president has secured 253 electoral votes with multiple pathways to the required 270. Biden delivered brief remarks on Wednesday evening in Wilmington, Delaware, sounding an upbeat tone and offering a conciliatory message to a nation whose divisions and strife were laid bare by the results. Trump, who remained in private throughout the day, tweeted his displeasure at the results and reportedly told his aides to, quote, go down fighting. The source of Biden's confidence and Trump's angst? Late counted mail-in ballots in urban centers such as Milwaukee and Detroit that swung Wisconsin and Michigan his way. African-Americans saved Biden's bid for the Democratic nomination in the South Carolina primary this February, and now they appear to be salvaging his lifelong dream of becoming president. Once again, Trump campaign officials say they requested a recount of Wisconsin's ballots and are moving to block continuing counting in Michigan until their observers can gain access to tabulating sites. The campaign also filed a lawsuit alleging voting irregularities in Georgia, despite the lack of evidence. Trump's lead over Biden in Georgia narrowed considerably yesterday as more ballots came in from around Atlanta. Trump maintains leads currently in Georgia, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina, but the leads in all three of those states shrank as votes continued to be counted. Arizona and Nevada, where Biden was leading, remained too close to call with thousands of votes left to be tallied. Biden could capture the presidency by holding on to his leads in Arizona and Nevada though it could take days for a final tally to be available. Based on the states he's already projected to win, Biden gets 270 electoral votes exactly if he wins Arizona and Nevada. Still, Tuesday's election was a sober moment for Democrats. They'd hoped to run up the score to avoid precisely the challenges to the integrity of the election that Republicans announced yesterday. Biden campaigned as a healer, but the narrow lead shows how deeply ingrained political tribalism has become in our country. This would have been hard to imagine four years ago, but the urban-rural divide actually grew significantly deeper in 2020 than it was in 2016. When Trump narrowly won Wisconsin over Hillary Clinton to clinch the presidency, he carried 23 counties that had voted for Barack Obama. But even as Biden was projected to win the Badger State, he was on track to pry back just two of those 23, Door and Sauk. Rather than flipping more Obama-Trump counties, Biden 
exceeded his targets and ran up the score in the state's two biggest cities, Milwaukee and Madison. The pattern extended to Michigan and several other battleground states. This leaves our nation potentially heading toward a period of entrenched partisan warfare, even as we're battered by cascading crises, including the worst pandemic since 1918 and the worst economic crisis since 1933. A protracted battle over the legitimate winner of this election will only deepen those national fissures. Americans across the ideological spectrum wanted to be heard this year. Based on our projections, once all the votes are counted, 2020 will have the highest voter turnout since 1900, when 73.7% of eligible Americans cast ballots. That election had a much smaller voting pool because the country was a fraction of its current size and women didn't have the right to vote yet. So far, several records from 1980 have already been broken for turnout in states across the Midwest and South. In other election-related news, the nuanced and sometimes dissonant political preferences shown by Latino voters in the 2020 election have sparked bewilderment and soul-searching among Democrats as their party lost significant ground with Latinos in Florida and Texas compared to 2016. In Florida, nearly half of Latino voters cast ballots for Trump, according to exit polls. In Arizona, the exit polls showed that more than 6 in 10 Latinos favored Biden, and 56% did so in Nevada. But in the heavily Latino Rio Grande Valley in Texas, Trump lost rural Star County, which is 96% Hispanic, by just five percentage points. In 2016, Trump lost that county by more than 60 points. Political experts and community organizers tell Jose Del Real and Arelas Hernandez that the key to making sense of these trend lines is to throw out the antiquated idea that Latinos are a monolith who comprise one single electorate. Although in the aggregate, they tend to lean Democratic. The political calculations of Latinos are shaped by where they live, their ancestry, age, education, income, and faith, among other factors, in a group of approximately 32 million American citizens, all with distinct political inclinations. Although Cuban-Americans who tend to live in Miami-Dade have historically been Republican-leaning, their commitment to the GOP isn't monolithic either. Meanwhile, Puerto Ricans, whose numbers have grown in Florida in recent years around Orlando, are often assumed to be Democrats. But that's not often the case among many evangelical Protestants and those who've recently relocated from the island. The Biden campaign's particularly pathetic outreach efforts to Latinos in Florida made him more vulnerable to disinformation and mischaracterization, including claims that he was a socialist, something the Trump campaign spent literally millions of dollars pushing on television in the Miami area, and it went largely unchallenged until the home stretch. Meanwhile, social media researchers say they've seen a wide range of misinformation targeting Spanish-speaking voters in the United States. Some of it appears to be driven by the Russians. In recent years, technology companies have put in place mechanisms to combat misinformation about the election, the pandemic, and so many other topics. But misinformation has proliferated regardless, because content moderation is often far less developed in languages other than English. In other election-related news, Biden fell short of the resounding repudiation of Trump that political strategists in both parties felt was necessary to extinguish the dangerous political fires that this president has lit. Indeed, Republicans who yielded their identity as a political party to Trump appear to have won affirmation from voters in key states, including North Carolina. Phil Rucker and Bob Costa report that there is now a lack of clarity about what it means to be a Republican. 
The party has no common set of facts or agreed-upon agenda other than supporting Donald J. Trump. The party's official 2020 platform shrunk from 100 pages to a brief resolution, one page, that assailed the news media and heaped praise on Trump. Some veteran Republicans say Trump's polarizing brand of politics will make it more difficult for the party to build an enduring national majority in the 2022 or 2024 elections. Shepherding the party away from its demons remains a challenge without an evident solution or a leader who can eradicate them from the ranks. Even if Trump ends up losing, he could remain embedded in the Republican psyche and a lodestar for hard-right core activists. Should Biden win, however, he will face a daunting reality on Capitol Hill. Democratic hopes of a united government were dashed. Republicans appear to be on track to hold their narrow majority in the Senate. And Democrats now expect that if Biden wins, the Republicans will oppose almost all of his legislative agenda and could block many of his nominees. In Maine, Republican Senator Susan Collins defeated her Democratic challenger Sarah Gideon. Speaking as Elton John's I'm Still Standing played, Collins thanked her challenger for a gracious concession. Here in Washington, House Democrats are trading lots of blame after they failed to oust a single Republican incumbent, despite thinking that they'd beat several, especially in Texas, where they got none. Democratic lawmakers and strategists blame unreliable polling, Trump's law and order messaging after the rioting this summer, so-called hidden Trump voters, a hangover from impeachment, the failure to pass a coronavirus stimulus deal before the election, and much, much more. There's a lot of finger pointing, and it's going to get messier in the coming weeks. In other election-related news... Republicans also fended off on Tuesday an effort by Democrats to revamp the balance of power in state legislatures, crushing their expectations that they could flip up to seven chambers in Tuesday's election. For now, it appears Democrats got none. This is hugely consequential because these state legislatures, in many cases, will draw new congressional and legislative maps next year so they can cement their majorities for another 10 years through gerrymandering and favorable line drawing. Although some competitive state legislatures remain too close to call, Tim Craig reports that Democrats failed to make any gains in the Texas House and actually lost ground in some of their target states, including Iowa and North Carolina. Republicans also claimed victory and seized control of both chambers of the New Hampshire legislature, even as Biden carried the state, snatching back power that Democrats had won in the 2018 midterms. Democrats are still holding out hope they might be able to flip control of the Arizona House, where their candidates are locked in some tight races. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. If you want to hear full episodes, find The Daily 202 every weekday morning wherever you get your podcasts. NYBG's brand new online education program, Plant Studio, offers bite-sized courses tailor-made for you. Guided by plant professionals, dig into botany, floral design, landscape design, and more. Online learning your way. Register at nybg.org.